Hello listeners, my name's Alex, I'm the producer on For and Against with DM Podcasts. Just a little note at the top of the episode, we had some technical difficulties with the microphones in this record, so the guys do sound a little bit like they're far away from the mic, it's a bit echoey, so bear with us for this episode with that, and apologies in advance, but it's still of course a great episode, so please enjoy. Yes, hello. Welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach here with you once again. And again, I'm forming a duo with the ever-present Simon Johnson. Nice of you to make the time to join us, Jono. Great to be back, Roachy, as always. I'm reliably informed that Stephen Riley will be returning to his post next show. It'll be in big trouble if he doesn't. I reckon. Believe when I see it. Yeah. Uh, but look ahead in this show, the ugly spectre of concussion and what sports are doing about it and the extent to which they are being made to do something about it. Uh, also, cricket goes stateside, some developments in golf, and we marvel at an evolution of basketball that just can't be ignored. Of course, we'll wrap it all up with red card, yellow card, as we always do, where we draw attention back to some misdemeanours of sporting types, things that they'd rather we'd forgotten about. Uh, you can get involved in Red Card, Yellow Card by uh, using the hashtag RCYC uh, on anything you see on social media that might warrant inclusion in our Red Card, Yellow Card segment. Now, speaking of social media, please do find us at Twitter, uh, on Twitter that is, at for and against, with a little underscore on the, on the end there, and on Instagram, for.and.again. So we was particularly active on your minister for Instagram, Jono. Is there much going on there? We are so active. For good, good, good. Lots of followers, lots of likes. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. We could do a few more, so yeah, give yeah. us a follow. Like was on there. Not like was on Twitter. Actually, I'm minister for Twitter, so maybe we should have a bit of race. See how we can up our uh, followership. Let's do Followerships, that the word? Uh, followers. I think that's the word after. All right, we'll, we'll take this offline. Minister for social media. Let's get into the show. Uh, so concussion, concussion. Jono, uh, as we understand more and more about the science around concussion and indeed CTE, uh, and former athletes are more comfortable about sharing their stories of their cognitive decline, uh, it's somewhat inevitable that, uh, that the lawyers get involved. Now, writ large at the moment is an action by 60 former AFL players who sustained concussions during their careers. As I understand things, they form part of a class action that was filed in the Victorian Supreme Court in mid-March, seeking, and I think uh, this is the formalities here, seeking up to $2 million per player for pain, suffering, financial loss, and medical expenses due to their injuries. Now, I was curious to see that on the same day, presumably not accidentally, the AFL released its new guidelines for the management of concussion. And apparently there's also a four-year study or strategy, which uh, includes some 25 mil and a 10-year study. Ah, yes, it's a strategy that includes a study. Now, which is a step up from September last year, where you might recall we interviewed a neuroscientist, Associate Professor Alan Pierce, who was somewhat concerned at the code's attitude to brain injuries. And that was our September show, for those who want to go back to, I think it was episode 106. But um, putting that to the side, interesting developments in the AFL at the moment. 
It is, Rochi. I mean, this is such a difficult subject, and, and I reckon it's um, you know a fundamental issue which every contacts board is going to have to mm. deal with over the next two or three years. I mean, it's obviously been coming down the pipe from the US and overseas for quite some time, and we're now seeing it really reach a bit of a, a crescendo in Australia. So, yes, we talked about medical issues on a previous show, and uh, I think there's now common knowledge out there that these sorts of contacts boards create you know, a substantial risk for participants in contact sports to suffer these concussions or, or traumatic head injuries, which can lead to some horrific long-term impacts. And we've seen so many examples from so many different sports. I thought it'd be interesting, I guess, just to take a little bit of a deep dive into what the legal issues are mm. and, and why I think it is such a fundamental bet the farm incident, uh, sorry, bet the farm issue for all of these sports to deal with. So. Mm. At the moment, there's actually two class actions that have just been kicked off against the AFL. Um, so one, as you mentioned, uh, is led by uh, Max Rook. And he's, as you said, on behalf of 60 former players. And it's alleging that all of these players sustain permanent life-altering injuries as a result of um, the contact sport that they were playing. It's very early days with this litigation, and it's the type of action that will probably play out for a number of years. The way a, a class action works is, I mean, it's the type of thing where you don't actually have to, the player doesn't have to front up with any money usually to, mm. to pay for the lawyers. So mm. usually they're funded by a litigation funder. In this situation, it's actually a small law firm that's running it. So you might have heard of a bunch of plaintiff law firms like Slater and Gordon, mm. Morris Blackburn and the like, mm. and, and they make their dough um, like US class action lawyers do by effectively funding it themselves. In Australia, there are some firms that do that. But more commonly, there's actually a, a serious business involved where litigation funders get in and they'll pay for the legal bills on the basis that they take a cut. They'll stump up the cash. Yep. But they'll take 25, 30 percent, sometimes a little bit more of mm. the ultimate outcomes. And so, just as a risk premium, right? They'll know that they'll lose some. They don't actually do anything for the case other than just simply front up with the capital. Yeah. I mean, that they. it's a really interesting one. And this is where it can lead to a few conflicts of interest. And I won't bore you with the legal ease in all of that. But yeah, ultimately, their interest, let's face it, is to make money, not necessarily to get the best outcome for, uh, for the player or yeah, the plaintiff right. or the applicant mm. in the case. So. Mm. That's where there are, there's all sorts of protective regimes and laws that are in place to try and ensure that the funders are doing the mm. right thing. Ultimately, they're mm. acting as a fiduciary on behalf of, of these players. But this, this, I think, is something that's going to confront a lot of different sports. Like it's only the AFL at the moment where it's kicked off. There's two on foot and what could happen is that you might get a litigation funder involved that might try and effectively take over the claim from these small firms that have kicked it off. But this is just the AFL. I mean, well, sure, the NRL can't be too far away. The NRL, the AIU, I'm sure, absolutely. It, it'll be something that they're looking at really closely. It's not something, generally speaking, that you can insure against. So these codes, generally speaking, won't have an insurance policy against this sort of litigation. Against yeah. litigation generally, or class actions in particular? This type of class action, it'd be pretty rare that you would have an insurance policy that would respond um, for, for something like this. So when you're talking about you know, $2 million a player, um, the way it was advertised for the AFL class action, depending on the number of players they ultimately get could get involved, the sum could reach, as you said, close to a billion dollars. Mm. And I mean, the other thing to be mindful of is just to have a look at what happened overseas. So, you know, in Australia, we've got our own class action system. It's different to the way it plays out um, in overseas. 
into no doubt. And the US in particular, I'm guessing, is uh, talking about the NFL. Yeah, the NFL is the obvious one. So you, you would have heard about the NFL class action. Uh, it was quite a while ago now. It was kicked off, I think, in 2011. Oh, but it settled a couple of years after that, and the figure was about 700 million US. Mm-hmm. And you know, doing a bit of reading into that, that was that's a low number. They, they reckon that there'll probably be further class actions kicked off against the NFL because that, that only settled it as against the pool of players that it applied to at the time. Mm-hmm. So since 2013 or whenever it settled, there's no doubt other players who've retired that didn't opt into that class action settlement who probably have their own claim. And, you know, it could very well reach the, the billions of dollars. But presumably the NFL would have then, as a consequence of that, class actions brought against them, would have put some sort of measures in place to reduce the chance of that happening again, like presumably the AFL slash NRL slash et cetera, et cetera, will be looking to do here. Yeah, and this is, I mean, that leads to the, the really good next point, which is, you know, what are the mitigating factors that uh, sporting organisations can put in place? So the AFL has concussion protocols. The NFL has certainly sought to do that with all of the protective equipment that they have in play. One of the really interesting things that some sporting codes have adopted in recent times, and a specific example is actually in the UK. So there's a class action currently on foot against the Rugby Football Union, so the rugby Mm -hmm. um, over in the UK. And whether or not it was in response to this uh, legal action or or otherwise, they've actually instituted some new rules over there which reduces the number of contact hours that you can have. So you kind of full contact training, mm. you can only have it for a certain number of um, you know, hours yeah, in a week or yeah. wherever it might be. And I think it's inevitable that that's going to happen with Australian contact sports as well. Mm. I mean, even you talk, you hear about soccer talking about whether kids or you know, even teenagers should be able to head the ball. Um, I, was, I saw something interesting, and I forget which code it was, but someone has learned from the US experience because one of the reasons the NFL found itself on the hook was because they had somehow admitted there was a connection between playing the game and getting concussion and then getting CTE. Because I think that's, concussion is the, I'm no doctor here, but concussion is the, what happens to you at the time and then CTE is the de- degenerative disease that occurs down the track. Creates dementia and all sorts yeah. of other horrific consequences. Again, another, another big asterisk, I'm not a doctor, but so I've simplified that's roughly what it is. But um, what was my point? Oh yeah, so it was the, that causation link that I think brought the NFL Unstuck in inverted commas. So apparently, the the Australian, the, presumably the AFL, has been very, very careful in in saying yes, concussion does happen on our on our fields, but not being very, very careful not to admit the link yeah, between and, the two. And that's, I mean, there are some parallels to you know the way this sort of litigation played out with asbestos or tobacco oh, yeah. or alcohol, those sorts of things. So. Well, it gets back to the point of, you know, what did the sporting codes or the employers or the manufacturers know about the dangers? And ultimately, to look at the legal issues, what was the duty of care? The the way you determine what duty of care was, what was the risk that was generally known at the time? So I don't think there can be any doubt that as of 2023, it's a pretty broadly known fact that contact sports Mm. create that serious risk. The issue will be, you know, when did that knowledge become generally known in the same way that, you know, for tobacco, was it the 60s, was it the 70s? What mm. was the state of the medical science? What was the state of knowledge within the community? So they're the sorts of curly factual issues that will um, keep some lawyers pretty busy. Yeah, at risk of turning this into a, a law podcast, um, there must be a distinction between, okay, you knew, you know, because in the case of smoking, for example, I, I get I, my understanding is, that the people who are producing the cigarettes quietly acknowledge that, yeah, the research actually is correct, this is bad stuff. 
but it might have been some time afterwards they admitted it. So there's, there's that sort of, I don't know, I'm not sure if negligence is the correct legal word, but then there's also the, okay, you didn't consciously know, but you should have known this sort of stuff was, was bad. Yeah, there's that. And if you did consciously know, or even if you knew a little bit of it, what did you do to mitigate that risk? That's probably the, the next crucial step. And that's where, you know, all of these um, activities that dif- the different sports are taking to try and mitigate the risk, no doubt they're doing it to protect their key athletes, but mm. they're also probably doing it with a weather eye to, you know, the potential litigation down the track. Speaking of protecting key athletes, so um, it'll be interesting to see if the rugby league, when the rugby league gets its day in court, because... Also in mid-March, which was when this AFL motion was filed. Is that the correct term? It's a motion file? Class action. Class action file. Okay, right. Um, I was never going to make a word. Uh, So mid-March, Dolphins coach Wayne Bennett and Canberra coach Ricky Stewart both said that the NRL's independent concussion spotting doctors, who have been in place since 2022, were a sign that the NRL didn't trust coaches to look after their players. Bit of a dinosaur attitude, isn't it? Speaking of dinosaurs, so then Canterbury's general motor of uh, General Motors, that was last show, uh, general manager of football, uh, Phil Gould, so there's another noted dinosaur, called the presence of these independent doctors the greatest abomination perpetrated <laughs> on our game in history. Wow, fire up, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we've got a little way to go there. But so. um, the jokes aside, I mean, yes, it's a it's a, it's a sad story, you know, the, what the effect this has. But do you, so so what's the end game here, John? So the, the insurers and the lawyers get involved and it you know, becomes prohibitively expensive to, to play the game somehow. Can we reach a point where you, you, you have volunteers? So you say, this is really bad. This sport is really bad for you. When you hit people really hard, this will almost, this will likely happen to your brain. Yeah. If you want to play, please understand these are the conditions and these are the possible outcomes. It, it's already that, that factor. So the voluntary assumption of risk, you play a contact mm. sport, you, sh- you pro- should probably assume that there is a risk that you are going to get injured or that these things might happen. And that will be one of the issues that will come out in court and no doubt that will be part of the defence of each of the sporting codes. There's no doubt about that. The other point you raise is a good one, you know, to what extent do they get the players to sign up to something? Like in the same way that if you, you know, go to a theme park and go on a ride and you sign a waiver, mm. then, you know, potentially the, the codes are going to look at that. Where I think it might play out, I mean, I think it's such a fundamental issue that there will have to be rule changes to a lot of these sports. So if you look at community rugby now, um, there's talk that they're going to reduce the tackle height. So rather than, you know, neck or um, above being illegal, it'll be sternum or above. So you'll have to tackle a lot lower. So, you know, the same in the AFL. We've seen all this controversy recently about the bump. Is the bump mm. dead? Mm. It's probably going to have to go, though, isn't it? I mean, mm. in the same way that in cricket, bowling bounces, you know, it's now only one per over and um, it's policed far more strictly. So I think there'll have to be rule changes. Mm. Well, I suspect we'll hear a lot of noise from the old players who and the old fans who want it like it used to be. But once again, and I'm, you know, I'm only being half flipping here, you know, insurers and, and by extension lawyers, um, the impacts on the games will mean that they'll, they'll change. They will indeed. On to the shootout now, where we cover a few more topics in shorter fashion and major league cricket. We spoke of this when news first broke it was happening, perhaps with a bit of an overlay of snigger about it happening, but it is happening. Major league cricket, yes, we know it's one of the most jarring coming together of words in the English sporting language. Major league cricket doesn't sound right. But if you push past that, you'll see that this July, July of 2023, 
there will be a 2020 cricket tournament in the US and a very well-supported one of that, Jono, and I'm thinking particularly financially. It's massive, this. This mm. is such big news. $120 million bucks invested, six franchises. You've got players like Aaron Finch, Stoinis, Quinton de Kock, um, Nokia from South Africa are all signed up for it. This is huge, absolutely mm. huge. And I didn't realise this, but apparently the US are going to jointly host the 2024 T20 World Cup. 24, the, is it? That yeah, soon? With the Windy. So yeah. it's a joint hosting thing. So there's a massive push into North America at the moment with mm. cricket. Where are they going to host it, though? Because, I mean, I think this tournament, it's only on one field. Yeah, I mean, the, the big challenge, of course, is suitable venues. And, you know, you've got the baseball-shaped fields. Um, it doesn't quite work out. But, look, when you've got a bunch of uh, tech entrepreneurs, as they do, who yeah. are supporting this, and I think we talked about this previously on shows, there is a really strong Indian community oh, yeah. In, yeah. in the US, um, particularly in the tech industry mm. as well. And you've got, I think, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, is one of the yep. big backers of one of the teams. So, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. But you're right, the infrastructure piece is going to have to be sorted. Where there's a willow, there's a way. And indeed, the uh, this cricket specialist um, cable station or streaming service in North America is called, is called Willow. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, we sort of mentioned the baseball stadiums. Maybe there's a way of repurposing some of them. I was talking to someone recently, I forget who it was, but they were making a very good point that in New Zealand, a lot of those grounds are rugby grounds. They've just got sort of, you know, they, they're, they're slightly big enough on, on the on the size to turn them into cricket grounds. Even yeah, park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it'll have to be a hybrid stadium. Right? I think so. I think so. Well, it'll be interesting to see. It's not quite in the right time zone for us here in Australia, but um, it'll be very interesting to see how well supported that is in the States to the point you make, Jono, there's perhaps a ready-made audience in the expat community over there, but I'm not sure whether there's much ambition to crack into the, the traditional sports fan in North America. I mean, I think it'll be fantastic for them, but there's so much potential there because there, there's something happening all the time. It's two and a half hours, it's perfect. So July, let's think about this. What's a clashing with baseball starts in April, doesn't it? Um, hockey and basketball, they they start in July. They start sometime in July. So maybe this might sneak in just before those it's two sports. Yeah, quite time. time NFL. Yeah, so maybe they're up against baseball. And in summer. Middle of summer. Perfect. Golf, Jono, where we now arrive at the point in the show where you get to talk about golf. I think we managed to avoid it all together last show, which I was rather proud of. You wanted to talk about uh, something to do with golfers getting smaller balls. Oh, well, that's part of what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, I thought I was going to talk about golf dinners. But well, yeah, I thought you wanted to talk about the small balls first and then balls that don't, to dinner. Balls that don't travel as far. So same size balls are actually mm-hmm. but none that don't oh, travel okay. as far. So all there's right. going to be a rule change. Lightweight balls. Yeah, something like that. So uh, it's golf and technology. They're proposing a rule to bring in the option of a distance-reducing ball, but only for pro events. So it's not going to affect you, Rochi. I know you're a big booming driver. Ah, yes, good. And, um, you know, you choose your golf balls very carefully. Uh, but From the second-hand draw, yep. But it, it's, uh, in all uh, seriousness, there are a couple of courses very well-known, Augusta and St Andrews, which are becoming, you know, pretty hard to watch because they're being dominated by these pros who can hit the ball so far. And there's only... Um, That's not why they're hard to watch, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I really walked into <laughs> Anyway, so there's going to be a change to the technology. Uh, and it's been mooted for quite some time. So I don't know if it'll officially come in, but it's been talked about again. Okay, but that's your way of legitimizing talking about dinner, which is, let's face it, that's your real strength. Well, you know, it's that time of the year, US Masters. I'm not quite sure when the show is going to digits. It'll be pretty close, but the US yeah. Masters may have been played and won. But um, we shall see. But part of the pomp and history 
of that tournament is that there's a champion's dinner. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard about this, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you've told us about it before. It's Probably. Go on, do it again. Anyway, it, I had to notice that last year's champion, Scotty Scheffler, his dinner, I mean, it kind of was appropriate for the type of guy that Scheffler is. So his four-course meal opens with cheeseburger sliders. They'll, <laughs> they'll be served Scotty-style with firecracker shrimp. They'll be followed by a tortilla soup with Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish with the main course. They'll be accompanied by macaroni and cheese, jalapeno cream corn, fried Brussels sprouts, and seasoned fries served family style. Finally, the meal's tasty grand finale will be a warm chocolate chip Skittle cookie served with milk and cookies ice cream. Surely the people at Augusta have a, have a threshold for this sort of <laughs> rubbish. They're taking the mick, right? Well... Surely they say, hey, mate, what's his name? Scotty? Scotty Chef. Scotty. Mate, we yeah. just need to raise the tone a bit. Yeah. Hey, how about some nice dusted ribs? And maybe some He's a real middle American kind of guy. I mean, in previous years point. when Charles Schwartzel from South Africa won, they did a South African braai. When Hideki mm. Matsuyama won, there was a very nice sushi, sashimi, and wagyu feast. What did Adam Scott do, do you recall? It's funny you asked that, Richard. Oh. Um, but he did a surf and turf. So oh, that's right. He did bay bugs and, and wagyu. I remember. I remember telling us about it. Yeah, okay. Because that, let's just get this in again, that was that was the tournament you were at, Jono, weren't you? Funny you enough. saw the winning putt being sunk by Adam Scott. Ten years ago That today. was an incredible. Ten-year anniversary. Today, today. It's, Similar, it's yeah. confusing because yeah. we don't actually get today today. Yeah, and thereabouts. Right, so that was just a recap of that dinner. That was the, That's it. Yeah, yeah, right. So which reminds me of this is starting to creep into Formula One, John, which, which worries me a little bit. Do tell. I love it. So, I get into Formula One. Yes, that's right. I'm trying every angle I can here. John, Formula One dinner. Wow. So those that know the sport well, no, those that know the sport at all will probably know that Drive to Survive has been an incredible phenomenon for Formula One, particularly in North America, a lot more followers, and did now a lot more races. Um, their main race has been a place called the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, for about eight or ten years now, maybe, and they are now expanding that to have a race in Miami. I think the, the first one was last year, 2022, and they got Las Vegas coming up in 2023 on a Saturday night. Wow. F1 races are always a Sunday at Sunday. Las Vegas, it's Saturday night. But back to Miami, there's a dinner being put on by some guy whose name I reckon you'll recognise, but it costs three grand to sit out at this dinner. He's put on some... Carboni, something like that. Mario Carboni. Mario Carboni to his restaurant in New York. Oh, of course you have. Of course you have. Well, now you've got to get yourself over to Miami yeah. for this $3,000 slap-up meal. Haven't you heard of the Carboni Vodka Rigatoni? Oh, no, I haven't. It's really good. Is it? Yeah, do tell. It's, uh, I mean, it's a spicy, creamy, tomato-based pasta. It's fan-bloody-tastic. Yeah. I'll do you have to get it sometime. Oh, and you can do it yourself. Oh, you don't have to go to New York to get yeah. it. I mean, my wife's way better than I am at doing it. Okay. Yeah. I'll, we'll get her to do it then. Terrific. Yeah, sport and dinners. Go together like strawberry and cream. <laughs> Uh, finally on the shootout, uh, it's not sport, but we like it. We haven't opened the it's not sport, but we like it file for a little while. Not our fault, we just hadn't found anything interesting. But oh boy, have I got something interesting now. I think proponents of what I'm about to tell you would claim it's a sport, but look, as far as I'm concerned, it's not yet. But it's finally a version of basketball I can get into. It's called slam ball. Now, this sport does what it says in the tin. It's basketball, except you can, well, slam into each other, right? Now, this... Jono, therefore, thereby, overcomes normal basketball's fatal flaw for me, i.e. that the defence can't prevent the ball carrier from progressing with the ball. That's always been well, one of my big problems with basketball, right? 
But not only that, get this, there are four trampolines built into the floor at each end of the court, standard-sized basketball court, right? Four trampolines. And tell me you don't have, already have a spectacular visual in your mind. It's basketball on steroids. So run up the court, get on the trampolines, boing, boing, slam. Exactly. Four players in the court at any one time. There are six six-minute quarters. Uh, there's the usual two points for a basket, and there's three points. There's sort of artistic merit, three points for an actual slam dunk. But do yourself a favour, get on the, on the old YouTube or do your favourite video uh, engine and have a bit of a look at uh, slam ball. Apparently it first came to light about 20 years ago. It's sort of died off a bit, but now it's just uh, starting to come back in the States, as you'd imagine. Looking forward to the first concussion classic. <laughs> <laughs> does sound pretty amazing, though. I'm going to have to give it a go. Slam ball. I think I might even get myself involved. Uh, right now, on to red card, yellow card. As we start to uh, come towards the end of the show, we finish up with red card, yellow card, where, as mentioned at the top, we enjoy putting the misdemeanors of sporting types back in the spotlight and embarrassing them that a little bit further. Now, Jono, what do you have for us? What's your nomination for red card, yellow card today? I've gone deep. Richie, um, wow. as you know, the show is deep. Well, as you know, the, the Suns UK sports section is fertile ground oh, for me when it comes yes. to yes. red card, yellow card research. Yes. So, this show, I'd, I'd like to nominate Man City and English player, soccer player Jack Grealish. Beware mm-hmm. of Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Turns out that he potentially needs to spend a little bit more time with his Man City club's dietitian. Because Jack has admitted this was splashed all over the back page of the sun. He didn't have that Carboni uh, vodka pasta no, too much, no. though, did he? No. Yeah, you couldn't have too many of those. Right. That, that is true. But he's admitted that after every home game, he orders five Chinese takeaway dishes every home game. This, oh, you're about to tell us the same ones, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I have gone, I've gone pretty deep, as I said. So I think we're best just to quote Jack himself and let him Please. take over. Yeah. I love Chinese, man. After every game, I get one. I go to Wings in Manchester. I usually get a takeaway. I pile it all onto one plate and demolish it as a free-for-all. I have Singapore chow mein. I have egg fried rice. I have salt and pepper chips. I have salt and pepper prawns. And then I have curry sauce. I then mix it all on the one plate and have a big free-for-all. All together? Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, Jack... Has he had eight pints before that? Because if he had, I could excuse it, but it's not... I don't know. But this is after every home game. And to top it all off, the Suns uh, reporter on the spot has breathily reported that the Chinese restaurant wins yeah. his walking distance from Jack's city centre apartment, which Jack shares with his fashion model and influencer girlfriend, Sasha Atwood, and their cockapoo. What the heck is that? It's a dog. What's it a cro- croc spaniel? Croc spaniel and a poodle. poodle. Oh, okay. Why is your own crossover in the poodles? That's not actually no. I, I, I don't know. Forget about that. What is it with you and dinners or this, this show and dinners? It's, it's fantastic. A food theme, hasn't it? That is. So just hungry. So salt and pepper. Uh, yeah. So Singapore chicken. Take it through again. Yeah. I can rate that. That's fine. Yeah. Egg fried rice. Got to do that. Yeah, okay. Salt and pepper chips. Not Whoa, so sure. That's very northern England. Salt and pepper prawns all over yeah. that, and then the curry sauce. He just curry tips over sauce. the top. So apparently. Apparently it was sixty-five pounds forty for, but he gets it oh, you know, every Friday. Every Saturday night. Yeah. Curry sauce on its own to the dish. Apparently, you can order a, a side of curry sauce. Wow! How good wings? Did you say wings? Yeah, I'll be in England in a couple of months. I might go look it up. 
How are we rating that one, Jono? Uh, I just yeah, think you're yeah, right. I mean, I'm quite proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a bit of a reluctance, so yeah. you can give out a card there, a little yeah. tap on the shoulder. So this one from me, it's coming courtesy of the United States Department of Justice. I'm nominating former NBA agent Charles Briscoe. Charles has been pinged for, quote, schemes to defraud more than $13 million from four professional basketballers, who I don't think were named, as far as I can tell. Also accused... RA financial planner and two investment advisors. Now, in one alleged scheme, seven million bucks US, of course, was meant to be used to help one of the alleged victims indirectly purchase a women's basketball team. There's some rules about not being able to do it directly. I think that bit was above board. I think that was sort of all understood to be okay. Uh, but instead, about a million dollars of that was diverted to Briscoe himself, while one of the co-accused ploughed more than four hundred grand of it into a cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, managed to splurge nudging 900k on luxury cards and dropped 100k on a piano. A piano? A piano. Oh, and he also used about a million bucks for some home renos, which included the addition of a fish pond. I do love the detail in the report there, a fish pond. Um, now, another scheme, Briscoe told one of the victims who was, fi- who was founding a sports talent agency that would be funded by the victim, taken over by them once their playing days were over. Sounds pretty good. So Briscoe requested a million bucks from the victim to be given as a loan to a prospect, a player prospect, before a professional draft. But the prospect was never signed to the agency. In fact, their signature was forged on the paperwork and the monies were never received. Briscoe instead used the money to pay off debts, which presumably were caused by that earlier investment in the crypto exchange. Spending some time at, uh, not Her Majesty's Pleasure, but uh, in the clink. I suppose so. Yeah. So it's sort of a... Open, well, sh- open and shut case for the DOJ. I think it's a, I think it's a red card there, John. It is. Yeah, yeah it's fairly self-explanatory, that one. It, 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 it awards itself. Uh, and with the conclusion of red card, yellow card, we arrive now at the conclusion of another exciting edition of Foreign Against. Simon Johnson, goodbye to you. Thanks for being part of the show. See you, Richie. See you next time. It's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Please do find us on Twitter at foreignagainst underscore on Insta, forward dot and dot against. And until next time, in a couple of weeks' time, it's bye for now.